Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Today's sponsor is my bookshop.org store and my Amazon store. I don't know if you guys even know that I have these, but you should check it out because I sell all the books that I've had on this podcast, so you can easily find them and buy them. The bookshop.org site is bookshop.org slash shop slash Zibby Owens. And the Amazon shop is amazon.com slash shop slash moms don't have time to read books. So I hope that you will check out my Amazon influencer store and my bookshop.org storefront. And the bookshop.org storefront also has all the books from my Zibby's virtual book club and some other suggested reads. So I hope you will check those both out and go shopping. Go buy some books from the podcast and support all these amazing authors. Sophie Cousins is the author of This Time Next Year, which was the December pick for the GMA book club from Good Morning America. So I'm glad I could sneak it in at the end of December. I hope this is a great episode to listen to on New Year's Eve because it all takes place over New Year's Eve and on New Year's Day. So it's perfect. Sophie worked as a TV producer in London for more than 12 years and now lives on the island of Jersey in the UK, balancing her writing career with working for an arts charity and taking care of her two small children. Although actually she told me in the interview that she had left her day job, so she is now working full-time. And this time next year is her debut novel. We did this as an Instagram Live on the GMA Book Club Instagram account in mid-December, so you can also go watch it there or on YouTube. Hi! Hello! (laughs) Hi, Zippy, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, though I've I've got a bit of a phobia of Instagram Live because the last couple I've done, like the connection's gone halfway through and like, anyway, so fingers crossed. The internet gods are with us tonight. <laughs> well, so far, so good. I was sure this would be canceled. There's a snowstorm here in the Northeast, but... Oh, no. Okay. I know. Well, we'll just hold our breath and, and see. Anyway, at least you came on and spared me from just, like, talking to myself, which I hate. It's always my least favorite part. I'm like, here I am. <laughs> anyway, well, it's a delight to meet you, and thank you for doing this conversation with me. Oh, not at all. No, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's been really exciting. The whole Good Morning America thing has been incredible. So yeah, yeah. well, let's start with that. So tell me about finding out that you became the GMA book club pick for December and your reaction, where you were, give me the whole thing. So I actually got a phone call. I got a text from my editor in the UK saying, oh my God, have you seen your email? Have you seen your email? And I hadn't seen my email, but she didn't say what it was. So then I was like quickly looked at my email and yeah, saw that I'd been selected by Good Morning America. And it was just like, it's just such a game changer moment. You know, when you're writing your first novel, you just kind of hope like, oh, well, if even my parents and like five other people read it, then that would be great. <laughs> you know and it's just you know it's just opened the book up to such a wider readership and I've just been blown away by the support from people so it's been a dream come true completely 
And does it hold any less weight not being American yourself? Or is it just as exciting? What do you think? Oh, I think more <laughs> exciting, more exciting. I actually, I lived in America when I was a teenager, actually. I used to live, my parents um, lived in Virginia for three years. So I kind of felt like I absorbed a bit of like American culture and got into all the morning TV and like, yeah, I miss my, my potato skins and bacon bits. Those are my, the, the best. <laughs> in America <laughs> at the time. All right. Well, next time I see them at the grocery, I'll put aside a pack. In case you get a craving again, you can just text me or something. <laughs> That's funny. So tell me about writing this book. It's your first book. Tell me about the whole process, how you came up with the idea for the story, and what inspired you to write a novel to begin with? Well, I've always wanted to be a writer. That's always been kind of ticking away at the back of my head. Like, you know, since I was a child, I was always like telling stories and writing silly little ideas down. And then kind of through, you know, I've been a TV producer for 12 years. And I think sort of in that time, I had the odd lull where I thought, I know I really should write something now. But those kind of jobs that are so kind of all consuming, they just don't really leave much space for anything else. And so I kind of had tried a few things and I actually wrote a YA sci-fi novel as well (laughs) in my 20s, but that didn't get picked up for some reason. Who knows why? (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, and then I kind of had had children and then I kind of thought, you know what, there's never going to be spare time you know like there's always something there's always like work or I know you know of course having children like there is no spare time and I just thought if I want to do this you just have to make the time so I had a job at the time and I had two children under four but I just was like I just I'm gonna really commit to finishing a book and you know giving it a go properly and you know I love kind of rom-coms and humor so I thought right this is this is the area I should be focusing on And yeah, and then the idea for the story, I've just always loved the idea of kind of first impressions not being what they seem. And I think that especially in this story, you know, Quinn, you look at him from the outside and he's got like everything, you you know, he's very good looking, he's had an amazing job, he's very successful. And I just really like the idea of exploring that like that just isn't usually the case with most people. Like nothing is as perfect as the veneer of the exterior might kind of convey. And, you know, that was the seed of the idea. And then the kind of structure of kind of basing it around New Year's Eve and kind of as a really good way of kind of dipping into these characters' pasts to see kind of what were the building blocks that made them the people that they are in the present. So that's kind of how it all started. But yeah. (laughs) Okay, wait, going back for to what you just said about being so busy as a mom and all that stuff. When literally when did you do it during the day with the two kids and all the rest did you wake up early did you do it on a computer like in the car like where and when did you do it I just want a visual so (laughs) I basically was working like in the day and then I'd come back and do bedtime put the children to bed and then I'd pretty much write between like eight and ten at night and I had a very I had a deadline because I had a book deal kind of when I was halfway through and so I knew I had to write 5,000 words a week in order to get it finished and so I worked that out as like five sessions a week and I had to do a thousand words in each session so yeah so like between eight and like 10 or 11 I basically had to write a thousand words before I could go to sleep kind of thing but like strangely I almost found that easier than what I've got now where it's like (laughs) I've, I've kind of quit the day job now and I've got the day like took to write which is an enormous privilege I feel incredibly lucky but there was actually something quite focusing about that very small window of time after a day with work and children where 
it just had to get done or it wasn't going to get finished, you know? I'm sure you know. <laughs> I do know. And I have heard that from many other authors that when you squeeze it in, it's like give a busy person something to do, right? You just like throw it on the heap, put it in the pile and then boom, 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 it's done. But when you're like, oh, spend all day, then you get two things done. <laughs> yeah, completely. And also I think that there's not that enough time for procrastination because when you know like you have to hit a certain amount of words before you can go to bed, you're much more focused on like just getting it done. Whereas now, I, you know, there's a lot of distraction of kind of just like, oh, let me look on Amazon, see what number my book is. Or, <laughs> you know, let's like, oh, read this article, someone being nice about my book. It's just like, actually, it's kind of better to be a writer maybe in a cave and just not. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe you should keep doing the thousand word a day, five days a week thing, because breaking it down into tiny, not tiny, a thousand words is not tiny, but into achievable goals and yes. spread it out over time. Because even to me, I'm like, oh, I can do a thousand words five times a week. Like that can't be too. And all of a sudden you have a book. <laughs> yeah, completely. And you do. And that is actually one of, when people ask me like, they want to be writers or like what advice I would give. I do think that like a weekly word kind of aim is a really good way to go because you just know if you've hit Friday and you haven't done enough words, you know, you, you have to cancel your plans and not go out and you have to write. I mean, in the world of COVID, like no one really has any plans anyway. But like, you know, in the old days, you would have to cancel your plans to go out, you know, to, do, to write. Excellent. So this is an even better time to focus on writing since you're not really missing anything anyway. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> How did you come up with the idea of getting stuck in the bathroom at a party overnight? Has you, have you ever, you must have gotten locked into a bathroom at some point. And of course, this is one of the first scenes in the book. I think I have momentarily been stuck. You know, when you try the handle and it doesn't click and you're like, oh, hang on a minute. And you have that sudden panic in your chest of like, I'm going to be stuck in here. And I think, I think it was based on that, but it was also just this idea of like, Minnie has so much bad luck. It was just kind of thinking like, anything that could go wrong a party was going to go wrong so like you know tripping over someone getting vomited on and then it's almost like fate really has a sense of humor with Minnie so as soon as she's in the bathroom thinking right she has a little pep talk with herself and she's like right I've got this stop being paranoid there's no jinx and then you know of course it's kind of like she almost like looks at the heavens and thinks okay you're, you're playing with me now because it's just another thing in the catalogue of problems <laughs> I feel like her jinx became like a self-fulfilling prophecy right it's like each year would come around and then she'd just she'd be so worried I mean she ends up sleeping the whole day and, you know, like, I, yeah and again I mean this is something this is a theme that I feel like I only scratched the surface of in this book in a way of this idea of like luck and like almost it being self-fulfilling and it, it kind of feeds into like the superstition thing as well like you know all of us do, you know whether you're whatever beliefs you have everyone spills salt and they're like <gasps> over their shoulder or you know th th there's various there's various kind of superstitions and beliefs that has just crept into all of our culture and you kind of think like I always you know knock on wood like if you say mm -hmm. oh you know nothing bad's happened so far I always knock on wood and like where does that come from and like you know for many it's almost like it is a self-fulfilling prophecy because for so long her mother has said you were born unlucky you know nothing's ever going to go right for you on this day and if you have that mentality like maybe it doesn't or maybe the jinx is real and she's you know <laughs> everyone's giving her a hard time <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's having a mother who is telling you that like you deserve this bad luck or that the fact that i mean 
really the time you're born is so there's so many factors right and and whether or not you win the like um the whatever first baby of the year award doesn't usually have a traumatic effect because you don't know if you've won or not maybe it's just the proximity of losing so i don't know i think it's like no, the it's family like- lore right the family perpetuating that myth yeah completely i also think that what was interesting to explore with many is this idea of like you know, she has low self-esteem. And I think the book slightly unpacks why she has low self-esteem. And a part of that is definitely her relationship with her mother. It's the relationship with her mother, but it's also her name, which, you know, led her to be to be teased. And I think that if you're teased at a very imp- impressionable time in your life, it can really affect your, you know, so your, your self-esteem. And it's one of those names that kind of on the surface, it seems like, oh, it's, you know, you imagine everyone meeting her and saying, oh, Millie Cooper, like the car. And then you just actually think, imagine having that all the time with everyone you meet and especially how cruel teenagers can be. And I, it just was interesting to me to kind of imagine all these little external factors that had made her have low self-esteem. And then actually almost like Layla is the external, you know, the, the friend that comes in that actually helps start turn that around for her. And, you know, the importance of friendship is, is another big theme in the story. I have to tell you, I almost named my second daughter Minnie. In fact, like that was the name that I had picked and she was born. And I told like my closest friends and family, like, welcome Minnie. And my family like staged an intervention and they were like, you cannot name her Minnie. I was devastated. I'm like in, I haven't even like gotten to the room yet. I'm still like on the gurney or whatever you want to call it with my newborn girl. Who I was like all, you know, fawning over. They're like, she's going to get teased. You're going to, she, what if she's really big? What if she's not? <laughs> I, I love the name Minnie. Actually, my, I love my, it too. And my agent's daughter is called Minnie. So then when I was kind of like having this joke about Minnie, I was like, no, 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 it's a really lovely name. It's just the combination of being, yeah, like Minnie Cooper, or as you say, like if you're called like, you know, yeah, Minnie and you end up being really tall. Someone's just asking on the chat if it's available on audio, audible. It is available on audible, but it's not me reading it, luckily, because I would be like, blah, 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 blah. But it's Hannah Arterton, who was brilliant. So yeah, it is, it is available on audible. <laughs> and I feel like Minnie is always getting herself into these situations, almost in like a Bridget Jones type of way she reminded me a lot of her at various points particularly at the moment i don't want to like spoil it because it's so genius when she's traveling in the airport in india and and the gift from her friend gets discovered layla's gift (laughs) and she has to like confront the security guards and explain this like very personal (laughs) unexpected item Uh, i mean you could like i was cringing reading reading it you know And, and then like answering the phone and thinking it was Greg, but really it was Quinn. And she was like about the dental stuff. Anyway, <laughs> that's, that's my favorite bit. And I think, you know, what's funny. I think it's a, I think it's a real, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think it's quite a British sense of humor thing to kind of enjoy the cringe of a situation. And I think that's definitely what I loved about Bridget Jones. And when I read those books for the first time as a teenager, I was just like, this is so my sense of humor. This is so funny. And I think that that, you know, yeah, because maybe the British have a bit of a reputation of being a bit kind of more uptight and a bit more kind of, you know, everything's fine. So that then when stuff is really embarrassing or cringy, it's kind of even more like, oh, just, you know, so embarrassing. And yeah, I really enjoyed just trying to put her in situations that just, yeah, you just want the world to swallow you up because it's so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) But what do you think about like, 
fate intervening? I know fate is sort of different from luck, and this is sort of maybe too broad a question, but just how people's lives can intersect in all these different ways and how this probably happens all the time, right? Well, I actually, I think I read an article that said, I can't quote it because I can't remember the statistics, but it was something about the likelihood of you having met the man or woman that you end up with like a number of times in your past and you probably wouldn't have known it. And like, I've actually got friends here in Jersey who they, they were looking through old photo albums and they found a beach holiday and in the background was his wife. No! As a child, yeah. And it was just, they happened to be in the same holiday at the same time. And I just think statistically, like, it's just, it is quite likely. And so what I quite liked about this story was exploring some of those near misses. But, you know, is it just a coincidence or is it kind of fate that's kind of drawing people together? And one people, one thing people have asked me about the book is they sort of said, oh, I would have loved to, for them to realise at the end and to kind of piece together all of the jigsaw puzzles. And I kind of very consciously didn't do that because I think life is not... You know, there's so many things none of us will ever know about when you might not have crossed paths with your partner. And I think with Minnie and Quinn, they would work it out because they'd get talking about India and they'd sort of say, oh, I was there that year. Or, you know, there's enough little clues. They both like Star Wars. That's going to come out. But I didn't want to do it completely overtly because I like that touch of kind of, you know, the universe will know, but we won't kind of thing. I know. I always wish I could rewind, right? I could just rewind and get like a wide angle view of all these situations and what would you see? and What wouldn't you? But no, not meant to be. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like, do you know, I love the movie Sliding Doors, you know, Sliding Doors. It's one of my all time favorite movies. I mean, I just love that that expression has become like, you know, oh, it's a Sliding Doors moment. I mean, how amazing to come up with a story that then it becomes like, yeah. you know, an expression. In, in, <laughs> It's brilliant. And, and I just love that. I do love that, like, stories that kind of explore, like, the alternate universe of, of how something might have played out differently, you know, and how. But, but, then, but then actually what's interesting about this time next year is that they missed each other all those times. And if, if, it was, if that was their one chance to kind of meet their soulmate and they missed it, but maybe the universe works in this way that it'll just find another opportunity and another opportunity. And, and that's actually quite a nice thought that it's not all totally down to being on the right beach at the right time, looking in the right direction kind of thing. Yeah. You have to sometimes be clobbered over the head by fate. To, yeah. <laughs> it takes time and time and time again. And then finally you see the person, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tell me also about the role of baking and the pie business, which was hilarious and putting recipes in the book and even in like your book club guide and everything. Tell me about that and your own personal relationship to cooking and baking. Well, I love baking. I'm more of a kind of cake baker. I'm not very good at cooking, actually, but I love, I do love baking cakes. And I always like make kind of very elaborate like designs for my kids' birthdays and stuff. That's like every birthday I'll say, right, you can choose whatever you want to have and then I'll try and make it. So my, my daughter said she wanted an armadillo cake this year, which was challenging, <laughs> but I tried. But yeah, so I do love baking. But I think in this story, it came up because I wanted Minnie to have a job that it was she was very much helping others and I think that's the thing about Minnie is when you first meet her she's a bit bristly and a bit prickly and she's definitely got a chip on her shoulder and you know you might not completely love her when you first meet her and I think what I wanted to have this contrast was that she she was a bit spiky but you could see she was really kind and that the way that she kind of interacts with her friends but also you know she set up a business to basically 
bring food to people who can't cook for themselves or who can't leave the house. And, you know, that really came out of a genuine, you know, affection for, you know, the community. And so, so for me, kind of baking for others was a really good way to kind of illustrate her kind-heartedness and her love of community and and it's also a really kind of communal job like I love that idea of you know when she's with her the friends and, and and her colleagues in the kitchen it's just a very sociable job you know sitting around the kitchen but needing dough it kind of just gave a lot of opportunities for interaction that maybe other jobs would have been harder to find I suppose and the disappointment with the burnt pies and all of that and having to restart and all the meaning the themes of starting over and exactly and, and also it's the kind of it's the kind of job we can all sort of sympathize you know you all kind of sympathize with like okay it seems quite simple like bake a pie take it to someone get paid and actually it was quite fun to just explore all the kind of like problems they have on the way and like you know things that can go wrong and you know when they're in India as well and they're talking her and Layla are talking about this ideal company they'd love to run where they employ people who need a second chance who maybe have had some issues in their life and then you kind of flash to them working in the pie shop and actually realizing some of these people are like (laughs) making life harder for them so it's like at what point does your kind of public spiritedness like have to compromise for commercial interest so yeah <laughs> I loved their relationship I mean it was such a great example of a of female friendship female work partnership sort of like a work wife you know trope if you will and how you know they even get annoyed at each other sometimes and it's just such a great I feel like there aren't so many like best friend examples in fiction all the time. And this is like a particularly vivid one. And I know you've talked in the past about your own close girlfriends. So tell me about how your own friendships made, you know, this one so rich and lifelike. I mean, what's interesting about, like, I love rom-coms, but equally there's so many good ones that have been written that you can find yourself falling into the kind of the trope of like the kooky best friend and then the kind of, you know, the inaccessible man and like, for me, it's like I wanted to write something like warm and engaging, but that also had a little bit of edge of some, something a bit different and also kind of slightly playing with and undercutting those kind of expectations. So even though Layla is kind of the kooky best friend, I wanted her to have so much more heart and kind of importance in this story than just being a sounding board to Minnie for her romantic life. And I think that's what was important for me as well, is that I think the kind of slightly more old fashioned fairy tales of kind of Cinderella being rescued by her Prince Charming feel very outdated now to modern readers and modern viewers. And I think that, you know, love and relationship should be something that is kind of the cherry on the cake of your life, but you've got to have the fat, um, look at me, I'm doing cake analogies. This is how embedded in baking. <laughs> but yeah, the kind of the sponge needs to be your own like self-belief and self-worth, which is like and again, like about community and friendship and family and then romantic relationships, like in my view, should be the icing on the cake that make your life that extra bit special. But they can't be the thing that you're wanting to kind of fix you or make you happy. That's got to come from something a little bit deeper down. And so, you know, for me, her friendship with Layla, she's known her since she was 15. It's kind of, you know, it's really important to her. And, and, it, and it's also really affected her kind of her life and her journey and her career and her her self-image and yeah I I wanted Layla to be more than just kind of a kooky best friend who just talked about her dating basically. And how have your friendships been impacted by this well both the success of your book and also having kids because I feel like 
no matter how committed I am to my friends, there's just not enough time <laughs> to see them essentially. But no, I mean, what's been interesting, actually, so I used to live in London, round about where this book is set. And then six years ago, moved to Jersey, which is a Channel Islands, like between England and France. And that was quite a challenge because most of my best friends were my school friends and they all lived in London or in the UK. And so I kind of moved away and then had children and so felt very kind of removed from them, you know, physically, because it's not that easy to just like jump on a plane or jump on a boat and go and visit visit your friends when you've got a six month old in tow. So I think kind of I just got quite good at having friendships that I, you know, people that I call regularly and would, you know, do Skype and WhatsApp too. So almost like pre this year where everyone's had to have their friendships like that. I think, you know, some of my best friends, I very much kind of had that going on already. And also I think your oldest friends, you know, you cannot see each other for years and like nothing. Like I've actually got a really good friend called Jen who lives in Canada. I went to university in Canada for a year and she was my best friend when we were at Ottawa together. And I haven't spoken to her probably in six years. And she texted me and said, oh, my God, I heard your book was a New York Times bestseller. Like, I have to talk to you. And so I had a Skype call with her like last night and we just chatted for about three hours. And it was as if like it was yesterday and just caught up. Isn't that just what's amazing about life and friendship? You can just pick it up. And if you kind of really love someone and know them and like know you that you like them, then the time and distance can be overcome, hopefully. Yes, I totally agree. I have friends like that too. And I'm like, thank God too, that we can just, you know, the ones where you don't have that ease of relationship, I think that, that's how it's, it's easy to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff or whatever that expression is, right? When you have kids or you have a book or something big is coming on and you don't have time and then to be able to reconnect easily is no, know, the hallmark of a, of a really strong friendship. Yeah, completely. And and to be honest, like, you know, it, it also sits out when you live away from like where most of your friends live, the ones who kind of don't regularly call or WhatsApp you or message you or kind of, they, they, they are much harder to keep up those friendships. And it's, unfor- and, and again, when you've got little children, it's just like your time. So yeah, like sadly, life just gets kind of whittled down, doesn't it? And, and I've made loads of new friends in Jersey as well and kind of, you know, mum friends and life kind of evolves. Someone's just saying on the, on the questions, is this a fictional story or based on true events? It's very much a fictional story. Does female friendship play a role in your next book that you're working on? What's that about? Are you allowed to say? Yeah. So the next book is called The Way We Met and it is a, all set on Jersey where I live. And it's basically about a girl, Laura, who travels to Jersey for work and she picks up the wrong suitcase at the airport and inside she sees the contents and she's convinced that this is the man of her dreams. So lots of the stuff in the case just points to the fact that this is her soulmate. So she sets off to kind of try and find him. So it's very much about someone who kind of believe again, like believes slightly in fate and destiny and has very strong kind of ideas about romance and meet cutes. And she really wants to have this like amazing meet cute. And yeah, there's definitely friendship and family that I explore in the book, but slightly different themes and slightly different, different ideas. It's been, it's just been really fun to write actually. I hope people are going to enjoy it when it comes out. Can you share how you met your spouse or I don't know if you're even married, but you're, I am married. It wasn't very, I, this is so funny. Someone came over the other day who'd read the book and she was, she met my husband and she said, oh my God, you must be so romantic. Like, cause she basically thought he must be kind of Quinn. <laughs> I was like, no, he's not. But we met through my best friend is married to his best friend. And it was kind of a setup 
in our early 30s. So we had lots of, yeah, lots of friends the same. So it's not a particularly exciting story, but like, yeah, it was, it's really, it's lovely to start dating someone when you know so many of the same people and we've been on lots of double dates with like our best friends together. And, oh, you know, that's been, nice. Being really nice, yeah. Awesome. So do you have any advice? I know you already gave some, but more advice for aspiring authors? So, yeah, I would say that the kind of sticking to a word count would be good. And then the other thing that really helped me is just sort of applying for lots of competitions. I think I think the idea of kind of finishing a whole manuscript can be so daunting, especially if you just got no idea whether what you're writing is any good. Whereas, you know, there's lots of competitions for like short stories or like first chapters or like, you know, extracts of writing. And I think if you can apply for that kind of thing, it, it just really bolsters your morale and your confidence. Like I, I first got published when I entered a competition called Love at First Write, which was for the first three chapters of a romance. And just winning something like that can just really boost your self-esteem and make you think, oh, actually, no, maybe there is something in this. And it can also help you get sort of seen by agents and stuff. So that would be definitely a tip. And also get friends to read your work who you trust to be brutally honest. <laughs> I've got some friends who will read my draft and be like, yeah, it's great. Yeah, excellent. Which is not really that helpful. Whereas I've got, yeah, two of my friends, Rids and Tracy, who read my drafts and they're like, right, okay, this is where it's boring. This is where it's slow. I don't like this character. This has, and you might not take it all on board, but it's just really helps to have someone who will be incredibly frank with you because that's what you need, you know. Thanks. Awesome. And, and well, someone's saying, when will the new book be out? And I think it's, I think in the US, it'll probably be out in the autumn next year. That's oh. the plan. So yeah, hopefully people will still know, remember who I am by then. And, of you know, course they'll remember who you are. You're just getting started. <laughs> are you kidding? Well, Sophie, thank you. Thanks for doing this GMA book club live. And also that this will be a podcast on moms don't have time to read books. So little double header situation. Yay. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much. It was so great to talk to you. And uh, oh, thank you so much. It was really fun. And this is the first Instagram live I've done that hasn't been like plagued by technical errors. So yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. um, yeah. Thank you so much for talking to me. That was wicked. Thank you. Oh, good. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much to today's sponsor, my bookshop.org and my Amazon influencer store. You can check out my Amazon store at amazon.com slash shop slash moms don't have time to read books and my bookshop.org store, which is bookshop.org slash shop slash Zibby Owens. And I hope that you will find every book that you are looking for. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. <laughs>